Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, your source for breaking news, business trends, and economic forecasts here and abroad that impact one-third of America's economy. And now your hosts, Lou Weiss and Tim Grady. We're here with Michael Wilds, who's partner in the law firm Wilds and Weinberg, to discuss DACA. Lou Weiss and I have been following this issue closely, and Michael is an expert and an excellent attorney in immigration law, and we appreciate you having joined us again on Manufacturing Talk Radio, Michael. My Thank pleasure, so gentlemen. Thank you for hosting me. We appreciate a, having you. Not, Lou? Not a problem. Uh, you got a you got a tough topic, and it changes almost by the minute, including today. So, uh, Michael, I'm going to give you the floor and tell us what's going on with immigration, DACA, Trump, and all the rest of the scenarios. No problem. Just uh, a brief word to your listeners about my background. Uh, my dad actually started our law firm, so I'm a second-generation immigration lawyer, and I have a couple of my kids already in law school, so it's likely they'll have a longer runway uh, to deal with these wonderful issues. Uh, my father's actually John Lennon's immigration lawyer when they were trying to deport the Beatles. This is Richard Nixon, who was president at the time, who was using immigration to protect uh, his own uh, re-election uh, bid. Interesting uh, story for people. Either way, it was during that Lennon case where the whole notion of prosecutorial discretion was discovered. That's deferred action, where the government would actually defer taking action against certain people. That's an umbrella term for discretionarily providing protection from removal, and President Obama rested his hat on that hook in 2012 when he uh, decided that he wasn't going uh, to deport uh, what he considered to be dreamers. And John Lennon's beautiful song, Imagine, says, and you can say there's a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. Well, indeed, Mr. Lennon wasn't the only one. There are about 800,000-plus individuals that he addressed when he issued an executive order in spring of 2012 allowing for a process of actual applications to USCIS immigration with the issuance of work authorizations. These are young souls who were brought in by no effort of their own, but by the grace of God and their parents, that they were born or schlepped into America. They don't have accents. It doesn't matter what day of the week they uh, pray on, a Friday, a Saturday, or a Sunday. The bottom line is these individuals are serving in our military. They're police officers, they're judges, they're lawyers, they're doctors, and they have no business even feeling threatened in having to leave. These children of undocumented individuals could foresee a time when they would be documented. Uh, For example, the deferred action for um, these individuals could get a speedy travel permission. They could visit grandparents that they've never met or seen, and they were able to have a proper documentation. Well, in comes President Trump and says, look, if President Obama had the authority to exercise discretion in helping these souls, I don't think it's appropriate, and I want a wall. And in today's news, we see that the White House is proposing a path to citizenship for these souls in exchange for the wall. Give me $25 billion to, break, to build the wall, and then I'll give a path to these individuals to have citizenship. There are other efforts that um, happened along the way, but the primary challenge right now is that DACA is facing revocation. The Trump administration ended the DACA program, stating that it was an abusive executive power by President Obama and he was calling on Congress to determine the fate of DACA, emphasizing that no work permits would be revoked for at least a six-month period of time until Congress uh, came to act. In the meantime, 
the deafening silence in Washington continues, and Congress isn't acting, and everybody's getting crazy. Um, and that's the background, gentlemen. So here they were talking about uh, deporting 700,000 uh, uh, dreamers, and uh, now they are talking about giving a path to citizenship to 1.8 million. Do they know what they're doing down there? <laughs> Very good question. <laughs> I mean, Look, really, you know, do they know? So here, here's the scoop. It's an interesting uh, dynamic. I'm a former mayor. I'm a very proud Democrat. Uh, but I'm also Mrs. Trump's immigration lawyer, and I've acted for the president for years now in immigration matters when he owned the Miss Universe, when he had Trump models, and scores of other uh, matters along the way. I do not believe the president to be a racist. I believe that he's sincere about trying to tighten our borders. But, gentlemen, we have 12 to 15 million people unlawfully present in the United States. Even President Reagan, who was faced with 3 million unlawfully present individuals, who just gave them green cards if they could prove in 86 that they had entered illegally in 82 and employers then were going to be punished if they illegally hired them and so forth. Even President Reagan gave them green cards. So even a $1.8 million thing is considered to be a drop in the bucket. We are not going to have a homeland that's secure if we build a wall because we have 12 million people that are wandering within our country where half of them are sanctuary cities, the other half are looking to pick them up and deport them. So we need a seamlessness, and there are dirty words here. The wall is a dirty word. The notion of comprehensive immigration reform is a dirty word. Even the Republicans are not going to want to concede any bootstrapping of a person who's here unlawfully into a lawful position. So you have so many moving parts. And to answer your question, I really do not believe that our leadership in Washington have a, any real practical sense of what immigration is. It's the sharpest tool in our box, in the arsenal to improve our commerce, to improve our homeland security, and to invest in young souls and the dynamism with which our founding fathers envisioned. Understand, for every foreign student that pays tuition in the United States and then we don't give them a path into our workforce, then our fait accompli is to compete against them in the next generation. So we're shooting ourselves in the foot and not trying to get this human resource. Imagine the hundreds of thousands of young souls that travail into the United States because of all the atrocities, the gang warfare, and the murders that are happening in South America. Instead of saying they're a burden on our society, why don't we invest in this resource? Why don't, they'll have a greater pledge to our, our flag, and they'll, they'll make America strong again. So I, I believe that walls do stop bad guys, and we have to take control of our borders. But on the other hand, it's just the beginning of this notion. And a 1.8 million people is not nearly enough of a way to fix a problem that's festering. And every problem has, every president has dealt with this problem uh, religiously through the generations. And we have to do this because we cannot pay this forward to our younger generation. But another, another point that you brought up uh, the last time you were on the show and I have two points to make here. And one of your points that you made was that we have a incredibly broken system. And I think you just outlined that pretty well, but there's another aspect and we did talk about this before. And that is that uh, the, we have a skill gap issue here in this country. 
700,000 vacant manufacturing jobs. And in, uh, by 2025, it's going to be 2.5 million. And by 2018, uh, 2028, it's going to be 3.5 million. And here he wants to throw out, the government wants to throw out the seven 800,000. Uh, but now he's looking to legalize 1.8 million. So again, I guess I'm back to my point of confusion as to what they're they're doing or, or what they are trying to make sense out of uh, whatever well, it is they're talking about. Yeah, and that's that's the problem that we have here right now. There's a big picture, and I don't know that there is a a, a sense um, of camaraderie and scholarship on the Hill, and that's a problem here. Whether you agree with sure. Senator Kennedy or others, the bottom line, bottom line was there was a sense of confidence. There was a deference. We remember the old days between Tip O'Neill and Ronald Reagan. President sure. Reagan, the, the, the rabbi of all conservative, Demo, of all conservative uh, you know, politicians, actually had the audacity to just give green cards to three million people, recognizing that you can't have people living in the shadows. So you've created a renegade... Uh, Wild West now where the mayor of New York Is giving out identity cards to these Good souls so that they can go to zoos And they can get bank accounts and they can buy Orange juice and pay toll bridges And we can build proper roads Knowing how many people are physically within Our geography and then you have people Who feel lock them up Let's get, uh, let's get handcuffs And beds and get FedEx And deport uh, 15 right. million people I mean it's just not practical We don't have enough uh, we don't have enough uh, resources in place, and you can't making more guns and more badges and put out a problem. And we really should be looking at this holistically. The whole notion of chain migration is an offensive term. It's called family reunification. Workers, particularly in the manufacturing industry, are going to work harder when they know that their loved ones can have a path eventually to come and follow them, and they're more motivated not only to build their family base in a lawful sense, but to then give back and employ Americans too. Once they become Americans, immigrants, they're no different than us. They are us. Correct. We all we all came from somewhere. Unless you're an American well, and, Indian. And that's a that's right. a that's right. And Michael, that's a point I want you to educate our listeners on a bit. You know, in eighteen ninety two Ellis Island was the place to land on America's shores and unless you carry the bubonic plague or you had some other issue, you know, the vast majority came into the United States and we were proud to have them join us. Uh, what happened from 1954 to now that has really screwed this up? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, an amazing, uh, it's an amazing experience. And, um, the, you know, if you study this, I'm a professor at uh, the Cardoza Law School in Manhattan, and I had the privilege of actually being in my father's class where I met my wife, and then my kids took my class uh, last semester. We've seen this. The pendulum has swung in the hundreds of years that we, are, we exist sympathetically on occasion to immigrants when we needed them and we appreciated them. Look at the Chinese Exclusion Act in the 1800s. The Chinese nationals came to the United States in droves, built our railway system from the East Coast to the West Coast. And then when there was an abundance and the job was done, they put in these Chinese Exclusion Acts, which effectively lasted all the way to 1965, when President Johnson, in front of the Statue of Liberty, rescinded it finally. And look, the pendulum will swing. But, you know, here's the thing. We fought pirates in the 1700s in the high seas, and we never lost the content 
of our character, as Dr. King would say, we never lost the flavor and the dexterity in dealing with people who are in jeopardy and trying to show our biblical sense of hospitality. So why is it that we are scared? Why are we running away from a bunch of pirates, whether it's Al-Qaeda or ISIS? You understand that we have an ocean protecting us. We have a different dynamic, and we should be embracing the world. Every time the president and his emissaries turn around and try to scapegoat the lottery system or something else, they don't fail. They fail to understand that it wasn't the lottery that brought a bad person here. It could have been a green card based on a marriage. The person radicalized in the United States. We need to face our resources into some serious intelligence work as to how people radicalize with these beautiful experiments that we have in America and not throw out the tool or the bath that's feeding people. So, Michael, with all of your uh, experience and your family history and so on uh, in, in the legal end and immigration and so on, you you seem to be the one that should have or could have and put together the plan, the real plan. How can this be fixed? Well, I think I'm not, and I'm not I, asking you know, how I, do we fix the politicians. I'm asking you, what plan would work? Well, obviously, anybody who's in elected office who is not dexterous enough to speak properly about homeland security and immigration without feeling scared they're not going to get reelected every two years needs to go. It is ridiculous. And some districts have constituents that get it despite being conservative. They can be gun-packing districts who just love honest people and get it because they have experiences that are positive. Shame on the media that creates xenophobia and give the impression that every single soul who's got an accent has the potential to be a criminal. Understand this, gentlemen, nobody can get DACA if they have a DUI. So it's the cleanest constituency. It's a puritanical constituency, if you would. What our founding fathers may have envisioned has gone off the rails. Now, look, if you're asking me, I toil in trying to help beautiful people come to America through business visas, through family applications, through asylum, through some of the uh, compliance and litigation services that we offer, I think we have to just start with a clean slate. There are good points that the president's trying to envision, and that is using a more point-based system like Canada and Australia. We have an old visa that recognizes people that have talent, but we should actually be creating greater opportunity with the new generation of technology, giving people visas and opportunities to come to America if they can raise a certain amount of funding and employ others. We have 50,000 visas a year for the lottery. We have 10,000 visas a year for people who invest half a million or a million dollars into businesses. Maybe we should reverse those numbers because we want another 40,000 people investing half a million or a million dollars into America's businesses and giving them work. Somebody's got to roll up their sleeves here and understand that the, the main DNA of the United States of America is that we are a United States, that we really don't care and shouldn't care from one state to the other what the rules are so long as we're advancing and helping one another. We can't have an ineffective tapestry of immigration from one state to another where somebody passes through in one and is given safe haven and another one they get arrested when, when they just express themselves improperly. So this has to be fixed. The method of fixing it is a function of taking the human resource that we have in Congress, the talent and the policy and the history, that legacy that we've earned, and coining a proper statute. Not easily 
easily said, not easily done. I'm sure. Not when you've got a couple of hundred people in Congress trying to negotiate. You make an interesting point, Michael, about students, because I personally have a friend who was a student, came here from France, happened to be a Muslim. Ched Lee was on the dean's list for four years, straight-A student, brilliant guy, came here on a student visa, couldn't find a job within the time frame uh, that he needed to, largely because he was uh, his religion was Muslim. So he went back to France and took all of his knowledge and skills and brilliance back there. And you're right, we'll now get to compete against Chad Lee because we get a real smart guy we educated that went back. And he, we could have used him in manufacturing, that's for sure. Hmm. Um, look, you know, it's a potent point. I... Uh, I, it's it's a solid point, and I see it every week. I lecture in front of foreign students. They put my lecture up on FaceTime so that their parents can see what's going on here. So our family, who doesn't speak the same language, who's scared to send their kid to a foreign country, they get educated. They have talent. They work in practical training lawfully. And now they find that they love to be in the United States, is then faced with a dilemma under this fake, you know, fake news that they're going to take a job from an American? No, there are Americans that won't do these jobs, and there are Americans that don't have the talent that foreign nationals have to do these jobs. Let's face it. And now we're going to have them leave, and we're going to compete against them. The model industry in of itself, forget the manufacturing for a minute, gentlemen. You can build something, and then if you have models coming to help herald or market it, they're not allowed to use certain visas during Fashion Week because it doesn't offer itself in the right time on the books. So it is a foolhardy's errand for us to think that we could keep putting a Band-Aid upon Band-Aid, this H-1B work visa that is used rampantly in the manufacturing world, is limited and capped artificially. On the one hand, when you go through that process, they have you post jobs in bulletin boards in case an American may see it. On the other hand, they want to make sure foreign nationals are being paid prevailing wages offending American nationals. So we have the schizophrenia and, again, the Band-Aid experience in the visa uh, business system that we have, that instead of fixing something that's broken, we actually put a Band-Aid on it and we make it worse instead of curing it. And it's completely unacceptable. And, again, there are people that will profit through this. We have so many wonderful souls that come through our offices in New York and New Jersey and Miami, and I'm now trying to open up shop properly in Los Angeles, where we – are just we are just envisioned you know America's golden doors should remain hinged so that people know that's there and we should shut it on any criminal and force out the hardened criminals no doubt everybody wants a homeland that's protected but we have to appreciate that this golden experiment that our founding fathers envisioned has to be worked and retooled and made better what was good for President Reagan is not good now in this new normal and the laws have not changed since 1986. They haven't changed since 1952, gentlemen, when the Walter McCarran Act first promulgated immigration. So we are decades behind where we should be. Michael, you're giving me goosebumps at what, <laughs> what this conversation is all about. It's really frightening, and uh, unfortunately, I, I don't see the intellect in uh, D.C. that goes beyond the next election. Before I forget, I would like you to give us your uh, website and or email so that perhaps some of these souls that you're talking about will have an ear to get some help. 
Happy to. Um, the website is my last name, Wild Lord. So it's W I L D E S L A W dot com. And my email is Michael at WildLaw.com, M I C H A E L at W I L D E S L A W dot com. We have some of the finest lawyers and professionals uh, the nation over, and we're honored to help people. And again, this is for everybody who's listening a task that we all should be proud and responsible to do. All right, well, my, our hats are off to you. Uh, keep doing a good job, and uh, let's keep posted uh, as things change so you can give us updates as things go along. Uh, Tim? Yeah, Michael, you're a patriot. Thanks for your time on Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thank you both, gentlemen. Be well. Have a blessed weekend. Thanks, you too. And we've been speaking with Michael Wilds, who's partner in law firm Wilds and Weinberg a second-generation law firm dealing in immigration. Michael's a terrific uh, lawyer. He's also a terrific, uh, warm-hearted soul to be helping out in an area where we've got a lot of difficulty in this country, and we've got to get it fixed. So our hat's off to Michael. We appreciate his work, and we'll be back with you on another segment of Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.